And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. It is May, and we are still talking Canucks hockey. Welcome to another edition of the VanCast, Farhan Lalji and Harmon Dial. Harm, how's your summer so far? Summer hasn't even started, technically, has it? It's it's still early May, but certainly weather's been great. I've been enjoying it, and uh, first round of the playoffs was a treat. It's the best round of the playoffs, so it's um, I feel like it's a it's the perfect setup to to the summer. Well, for me, I, I felt summer because I was in Kansas City for the NFL draft last week and the weather was great. And then I went to Vegas for my Sun 7-on-7 seven seven tournament, like 99 Fahrenheit, 37 Celsius. It was smoking, smoking hot. Uh, so I kind of got punched in the face with it. And then went to Toronto where it was raining and miserable with our producer, Jeff Demet, where he's always grumpy and now I know why. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and I'm really looking forward to today's episode of the VanCast because we have a familiar face. Bruce Boudreaux, one of three coaches the Vancouver Canucks are paying this season, joins us today. Bruce, thanks for doing this, my friend. Uh, no problem, but I, I'm agreeing with the weather. Like, I yeah. mean, Toronto and the East Coast has been just horrible. It doesn't even make you want to get out of bed. It's been so bad the last couple of weeks. Wow. So now where are you headed right now? Because Hershey's still home base, and I know you're still doing some television, so you're in the midst of another long drive. Yeah, no, I'm going back up to Toronto. I go every couple of weeks uh, to see my mom, see how she's doing, if she needs anything. So uh, it's a, it's about a six and a half hour drive, but uh, it's worth it to see her. Wow, you are twice the son I will ever be. You're a good man. And, uh, you know, and, and Vancouver Canuck fans felt that, you know, so we've, we've got to ask you, right, just – so much of was made about the, the Bruce, there it is, and the reaction that you received in this marketplace for the last month, or sorry, for the, for the full year, right? I mean, two half seasons, and uh, you, you certainly made an impression on the fan base here, and I'm guessing they made an impression on you. How much do you miss 
the fans here and just the vibe around the city despite the winning or losing? Well, the fans were, I'd never experienced anything like that. Like, I mean, uh, uh, it was incredible. I don't know what, uh, uh, I mean, probably when I first got there and we started winning is what transpired it, but uh, what kept it going, um, I don't know. I just, but I mean, they were, they were great before and after. Uh, I still get letters from fans um, and it's so touching. Um I've never experienced anything like that. I don't think I'll ever experience anything like that again, but it was, uh, it certainly was something different than, and now it seems like wherever I go, uh, I was doing TV the other day and uh, live in Jersey and, and all you could hear in the background was Bruce. There it is. Bruce. There it is. That they really started something, uh, uh, pretty cuckoo. So, you know, but it would, it was a great experience for sure. Yeah, well, indeed it was for the fans here as well. I mean, they they really. Uh, I, I think you you've got the whole warm, fuzzy father figure vibe, and I think you you pretty much took an entire fan base uh, under your wing that way. I mean, it could could you have imagined? Um, you know, even for a team like right at the end when they were playing as poorly as they were and things weren't going as as well as they as they were at that point, that that it would still be there. You almost got the sense that the fans could feel your plight. And look, for transparency, I know you can't get into the Canucks and the minutia of what happened there. We don't want to put you in that spot. But everybody knew what was going on. And you almost got the sense that the fans felt a level of um, sadness and disappointment of what you were enduring at the same time. Do you sense they were feeling it too? Well, I, I, you know, I think they were, or they would have been booing the crap out of us because, I mean, uh, the last 10 games, we weren't very good. I mean, uh, we started out uh, pretty poorly and then we brought it back up to get over to 500. And then we played a 12 game stretch that we didn't play very good. But the fans, when we came home after the the stretch, were still in our corner. So, I mean, it was uh, I was I was quite amazed and uh, very grateful, of course. But I mean, because uh, uh, it wouldn't have I wouldn't have doubted or wouldn't have blamed them if they had have gotten mad. Because we were in the situation we were. Bruce, one of the players that really turned it around when there was that midseason uh, coaching change in, in your first year was uh, Elias Pettersson. And it was interesting seeing him even in training camp. I think everybody had a gut feeling that he was just ready to take off. I mean, there was just something with watching him in camp in Whistler and in preseason with the focus, the the discipline, how, how sharp he was. He just looked like a man on a mission. Um, I'm curious, what did you see from Pettersson behind the scenes did a big breakout also feel inevitable from your vantage point yeah you know what i mean when we left at the end of last season he would he would tell me um that he's going to dedicate himself uh to training this year he doesn't have any injuries and he's going to have a great summer of training and he was really looking forward to this year and um and, and he did he came and he was in great shape in camp he was ready to take on a leadership role like i remember uh the the first the game we played the preseason game we played in abbotsford uh he said he said to me before the game that he wanted to play against mcdavid every shift and he wanted that challenge and uh uh and i think the first shift he went and he ran him and he and he might have even got uh, a goal on that play but uh, i i said to myself at that point he's come here to play and and he had a 
a tremendous season. I mean, uh, I think the Canucks are so lucky to have him. Matter of fact, I was surprised. And, uh, I don't have a vote in it, but I mean, when they were talking about the Selkie, I'm going, why couldn't he? I hope he got a lot of votes because, like, I mean, I think he either led the league or was tied for the league in shorthanded goals. Uh, he was a plus player. He had 100 points. I mean, uh, he did everything that Mitch Marner did, and, and Mitch Marner was nominated. And and uh, so, I mean, I, I was hoping that he would get some, uh, you know, just some accolades because I thought he deserved them. Absolutely. And, of course, the others, uh, other sort of prominent face the franchise player on this team is, is is Quinn Hughes. And I think this year there was a lot made of the the step that he sort of took uh, as a leader beyond just on the ice and producing a lot of points. What did you see in terms of Hughes maturing and, and developing as a leader? Well, I can only talk about um, the time I was there with Quinn. And I mean, it started in the summer. Um, you know, he, I mean, he, uh, you know, I talked to him quite a few times in the summer and his dad who used to be my assistant coach in uh in manchester and you know i mean quinn was worked extremely hard in the summer he started off on the and he said he's going to practice on the right side because he he knew we were a little shorthanded on the right side to start and i mean he wanted to do whatever it took for the for the team but i mean uh you could see the leadership that he was he was getting into and and what he wanted to be and you know what he's a quiet young man but he just wants to win he's so competitive and i don't think i think going to a lot of uh jack's games in the playoffs and and stuff he's going to be you know more excited about playing next year than he ever was and i think vancouver's really lucky to have a guy like him you use the term leadership and you know, we've seen both Hughes and Pedersen as, as kind of reserved guys earlier in their careers. Uh, Quinn's not afraid to tell you what he thinks, but he just isn't necessarily on the surface to us at least have the, the loud, boisterous personality. It We got the sense that when Travis Green was here, uh, his final season, that he really wanted to turn the team over to those young guys. And at that time, they just weren't ready. And it just it showed in in so many aspects of of team play and in other areas. And then you had them for essentially two half seasons. And then when when um, the the Horvat trade happened, then it it kind of just got put on those guys, right? So it it feels like they're a little more ready now. What sense did you get in the time that you had them about their readiness for becoming the leaders, the face of the franchises, all of it? Well, you know, it's not easy. I mean to. For young guys to do that and i mean sometimes it takes time for them to be ready in in their own mind and i think i mean i can you can look at uh players um for example and i don't know i'm I, this is just a guess but i look at buffalo and i look at tage thompson i mean it took him four or five years to become all of a sudden the player he is and the leader on that, on that uh, Sabre team. I think you can look at the same thing for our guys. And, uh, and when you, you look at Hughes and you look at Pedersen, they're going to become leaders that, I mean, they were already quiet leaders. I mean, uh, Daniel and Henrik, I mean, were never boisterous, loud guys, but they led by their, by their efforts on the ice. And I think these two guys are the, the same way. I mean, they're, they're going to be, well, they're going to be, they're already tremendous hockey players, but I think once they get comfortable in, in that, uh, that leadership role, they'll take more of a, uh, 
a jump on it every every chance they get. I just think that's what's that's the way they're made. One of my favorite moments with you this year was at the trade deadline when you were working for TSN, and I said basically, if you're a good guy in Vancouver. You get tossed to the curb. So Curtis Lazar first got traded, then Luke Shen, then Bo Horvat. Bruce was gone. All four good guys. Like, you know, and I'm still here. So that probably tells you something about, about Harm and mm-hmm. I. But uh, with all of that, you know, and I, and I do need to apologize because I threw you under the bus with your mom with all the swearing. Because we oh. you'll, you'll, you'll recall the promo video, the, TS- yeah. <laughs> the TSN, right? But, okay, bigger picture. Um, there's a lot of people that, believed that the locker room had some challenges. And and I'm not going to ask you to comment on that, uh, but certainly th- there's a belief from those of us that have been around it that a lot of, you know, that there were some challenges in the locker room. Losing certainly brings a lot of that out, just like winning can kind of mask it a little bit. But much was made about the impact of Horvat's removal from the locker room. Now, I'm not suggesting that that played into why they got rid of him. I mean, they got good returns, so the trade was made, and we all kind of saw it coming once JT Miller got signed that Bo Horvat eventually was was going to have to get moved on because they couldn't afford what he had deserved to get paid. But knowing the guys individually before all of that happened, what impact do you think that Bo Horvat being removed from the locker room had on relationships between Miller and Patterson and just the overall dynamic and chemistry in the locker room. Well, I was gone before Bo, so I yes, really no, don't for know, sure. But uh, so I don't know what kind of impact it had on after uh, um, after they left. You know what? I I thought it was all overblown. I thought the team um, when I was there they got along great. I mean, every team has uh, every marriage has a, a dust up every now and again. But I mean, uh, I thought the the team was all in and together uh, all uh trying in the same direction uh um but i mean uh, obviously when a leader like bo leaves somebody else sort of has to take the mantle up i just assume that's where pd started to take more of a a leadership role Uh, maybe miller took i don't know i mean i wasn't there um so it's it's hard for me to comment but i'm sure that other guys other guys did step up i mean uh uh, it was unfortunate that Pearson was hurt too, because he was a leader in the room that you couldn't you couldn't really hear because he was injured all year. So, um, but uh, yeah, I, I really don't know how to answer that one. Well, uh, quite I guess frankly. why I ask it is because sometimes when you've got a, a person like that that's been here as long as he's had, as, as long as he has been, a, a leader like that can become a buffer, right, between players and personalities and kind of navigate. And now you. Yeah. You take that buffer out of the room and now everybody's forced to deal with each other a little bit differently because you don't have that presence. So, you know, is there is there a chance? And, and look, I'm a Bo Horvat fan, so I don't want to say for a second that it was a good thing or anything like that. But when you remove the buffer and now everyone's got to deal with each other a little more directly and a little bit differently, can it have an impact? Well, I'm sure it can. But usually what happens is someone steps in and becomes the buffer after he's gone. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, and and that's usually what happens. Somebody somebody leaves, somebody else becomes that position. Uh, you know, so it's uh, like I mean, I'm sure they missed Bo, and uh, but at the same time, uh, life went on, and they, they somebody else stepped up and into that position and became that 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 person. I wonder if some of it might have been might have been Luke Shen, and and when you look at a player like that, his value to any organization seems to be 
understated because he had a presence in the Canuck room, even though at times technically he was, you know, when he first signed, he was supposed to be a six or a seven defenseman, but then became difficult to take him out of the room. And he's got that, that veteran leadership. And now you're seeing it even in Toronto that he's got a bit of a presence in that room and on that team. I think he does. I think, I think it all comes out of respect. Um, whether Luke was in Tampa, tr- um, Toronto, Vancouver, you know, the one thing he does is he practices hard all the time. He, he works his, his butt off. He does, uh, he protects teammates. He, he gives it his utmost ability and he's easy to talk to and he's very, very friendly. So, I mean, I think that has an effect on any team that he goes to it had an effect uh, he had an effect on me personally uh he you know he was an easy guy to talk to um especially when i was first there when i didn't know the team that well and i'm sure the same thing in toronto he comes in with the instant respect of of winning two cups i mean um whether he played with Quinn Hughes, now he plays with Morgan Riley and you're seeing more of that as a uh, Mark Stahl's playing with Montour, these defensive-minded guys staying and uh, uh, and playing with an offensive player, and they're saying, okay, listen, I've got your back, boys. You just go do what you want to do, and and I'll be here to protect you. And I think that's the kind of the attitude that he, that he gives off, whether it was Vancouver, Toronto, or wherever. Speaking of leadership, because of Bo's departure, we'll obviously see if um, the Canucks end up naming a, a captain for next season. Just generally speaking, Bruce, what are the ingredients of a good captain beyond just the typical working hard and sending an, an example on, on the ice? Because I feel like there's a lot that a captain has to do and obviously managing a locker room, um, kind of being the bridge between the coach and the players uh, and, and a lot of ingredients that um, you may have a lot more knowledge of behind the scenes. Well, I mean, in, in general, I mean, that's, that's what he is. Like, I mean, when I had Ryan Getzlaff in Anaheim, it was easy is that he would come in and talk to me. And if he had any thoughts from what the room was thinking and that maybe that I was um, not doing, he would sort of relay and we just, we would chat and I'd be able to chat with him. There's times like with, and again, going with Ryan where the team would be playing bad and, uh, after a period or so, and uh, he'd um, he'd he'd when I before I left the bench, he'd say, "Don't come in. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to these guys." And then he would talk. And then there'd be times when he'd say, "Hey, you know what? I can't say anything because I'm playing just as bad. So you got to do what you got to do." So I mean, he was a really good buffer for me. And I and and you know, I think captains uh, in in a perfect world, everybody wants a captain like say what Rod Bridgemore was was when he played the guy the hardest working guy on, on the ice the uh the the guy that practices uh, the hardest and and seems to care the most and and those are some of the traits when i had daryl sittler for exa- example as a captain in toronto um one day like i i was going pretty good for a while and then and i would i but i would leave the ice uh, after practice, he came and he grabbed me by the, the scruff of the neck one day and threw me against the wall. And he said, listen, I'm the best player on this team. I'm the first guy on. I'm the first guy off, uh, last guy off. And I work hard at my game. And he, and he gave me crap about that. And it resonated with me. And I mean, I think that's, that's what some type of captains do. Some guys are other just really quiet guys but they you, they go out there and you know when they talk they, they they mean what they say and i mean so there's a whole lot of things goes goes into being a good cap 
captain. But I, I think, uh, um, let alone, you know, probably having to organize any uh, team function uh, amongst the players. But I mean, those are just some of the traits that I think captains are good at. But I think communication is is probably the most important thing. Uh, Andre Kuzmenko's fun personality made him such a hit in this market, obviously, along with him scoring 39 goals. Do you have any funny Kuz stories you can share from this past season? You know what? Just that he was a fun-loving guy. I mean, I remember before the season started, there was a thing done at Rogers Center where he was with kids on the ice and uh, uh, and he was great for half an hour. He skated, breakaways, doing this, laughing with the kids and everything. And I remember telling I think uh, it was Victoria um, uh, and saying, listen, if if this guy is a good player, he's going to own the city because he, he is such a fun personality. He really reminded me personality-wise of a young Ovechkin. And, uh, I mean, he had a tremendous year. And uh, hopefully he's just, now that he's acclimated to the NHL, he'll even be better next year. Always fun catching up with Bruce Boudreaux. We've got a bit more time with him when we come back on the other side. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, Bruce, we're not going to let you off the hook that easy. You're now a fan just like the rest of us, right? Or a, or a broadcaster, I guess it is, right? So you're a journalist now. So I don't want to be I don't want to be quite classified as a media guy yet. Well, uh, you're you're close. I mean, now. I like doing it. Yeah, I know. I love talking hockey, and that's why I'm doing it. But I mean, uh, uh, I, I I still have dreams of, of of being in the NHL at some point uh, next year, hopefully. Would you be an assistant coach again? Like, if, if that's what it took, I mean, we've seen guys, veteran guys, whether it be Rick Bonus or Mark Crawford or some guys that just kind of do that and then maybe, you know, down the road further. Or are you at, you know, the age that you're at that, look, if you want to get back in, you want to be a head coach, how do you feel about that part of it? Uh, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't think the age thing or I've never been an assistant coach ever. So wow. I don't know if I'd be, I don't know if I'd ever be good at that. Um, that's, it's the only thing. I mean, I've only been a head coach, and uh, <laughs> that sort of freaks me out. I mean, the assistant coaches <laughs> work so work so hard um, at, at all the time. I don't know if I'd be a good assistant coach. So uh, I got to believe at this stage of the game, it's either the head coach or bust. Well, and the reason why I was asking you initially is just as far as uh, the fan part that you're one of us, or you know, you're you're a media guy like us, is it allows you to speculate a bit. So. Who should the Canucks make as their next captain? Oh, I have no idea right now. I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna speculate in that in that scenario. I mean, 
I think uh, those guys are smart enough that they will realize who's going to be the leader of this team for a long time and, and they'll pick them and they'll be smart about it. And, uh, uh, but I mean, I, I think there's, there's a few guys that they could choose from. So let's turn, let's change gears now and talk a little bit about the NHL playoffs. And we've seen a couple of mammoth upsets in the first round, you know, both Colorado and Boston got bounced. Um, are you, are you surprised? I mean, in this market in 2011, the Canucks or in 2012, the Canucks won the president's trophy and got bounced by LA in the first round. And, you know, we're always, we're always riding Drancer about the whole thought of anything can happen, right? And how teams behave a certain way at the trade deadline based on the idea of anything can happen, even if they're not a contender. But then you see upsets like this. And let's start with, let's start with Boston. How surprised should we be that Florida, who was a President's Trophy winner a year ago, had an offseason, made the playoffs on the final day of the season, goes out and pulls that upset? Well, I think anybody that wasn't surprised is lying, quite frankly. I mean, I think everybody thought the way Boston was going, they were going to they were going to win. We didn't know if they were going to win the Cup. But here's my thought. I mean, I was lucky enough to win a President's Trophy as well. And uh, a hockey a uh, guy that I really respect that once told me that he said, you know what, the thing with, with your team uh, that year in 2010 is you played every game or almost every game to the maximum of your ability. And that, and that's why you won so many games. And I think Boston did the same thing this year. And, but when it comes to playoffs, you've got to up your game 10 to 20%. And I don't know if there was that room for Boston to up their game that much. I don't know if that makes sense to you, but I mean, everybody has to elevate their game, but Boston played so good during the regular season. I didn't know if they could elevate their game that high. And, but Florida, so let, me, let me jump in. Let me jump in there. How do you dial it back? You don't, I mean, you, you can't dial it. I don't, I don't think there's a coach that says, okay, let's lose a couple, <laughs> you know, but I mean, uh, it just, I, I I don't have an answer to that. I just uh, uh, coaches push push their team, and uh, um, but like say Florida was pushed this year at the at the beginning. It wasn't working. They changed a few things. Now they're starting to become uh, the team that they were last year. I think you know Kachuk has really uh, taken another step in in the leadership role for that Florida team, but. Um, uh, they they didn't play to the best of their level at uh, the whole season and but they're playing to it now and so i mean maybe that's good enough maybe that was was good enough to get by uh boston maybe boston's uh their goaltending got tired you know i mean the those are the things but i mean bergeron was was obviously hurt. Krejci was hurt. Uh, they are getting older. The season gets longer. I mean, and when the intensity ramps up, maybe they just couldn't uh, couldn't deal with it. But they, I mean, they did take it to seven games in overtime. It wasn't like um, they got swept four straight or anything. But you know that uh, with, with Boston. But I mean, you can see teams that have you know Edmonton in the last fifteen games really stepped it up and played incredibly good hockey. And I mean now they're playing at the level they can. I mean, they lost the first game, but they also lost the game, the first game to the team that had the best record in the league from the all-star game on. So, I mean, there's so many things going on. I mean, and every 10 or 10 years or so, an anomaly happens where anybody can win the cup. There's like, 
you don't have the Colorados, which were favorites, uh, uh, in the finals against the other favorites in the other division. Uh, I look at these eight teams, and I think any one of them, from Seattle to Florida to Edmonton to any one of them, could win the Cup this year. And it, uh, uh, I think that's one of the reasons it's so exciting. Bruce, what's your take on how goaltending has evolved in this league? Because you look at the playoffs, for example, I don't think anybody would have thought that um, Ilya Samsonov would outduel Andre Vasilevsky, for example, or that Bobrovsky would outduel uh, Allmark, who uh, is probably going to win the Vezina this season. There were other examples as well. And you look at Jake Ottinger is is really the only high-end workhorse starter left in the playoffs. Um, it just feels like goaltending these days, even among the top guys, can be really volatile, um, even especially when it comes down to the small sample size of a of a seven ga- seven game series. Series. I'm curious to get your your take on it. Yeah, who fig- who can go figure? We can go through every goaltender. I mean, Ottinger got all the accolades, and then he lets in four in the first period in the first game. I mean, uh, in the first series, and then Schmidt from Jersey. I think it allowed one goal in three games, and then all of a sudden he gets pulled um, in the in you know in the first game against Carolina they talked about Freddie Anderson not playing now he's playing he's playing extremely well I mean we can go with Grubauer not a very good year playing lights out now these guys are <laughs> they're tough to read I wish I could read a goaltender better <laughs> it certainly seems that the goalies that are getting heavy heavy workloads are uh, just aren't performing as well in the playoffs it seems for the most part well I just I I was talking to a friend last night and wondering you know, if every year when they see what succeeds, it seems like that's the trend that teams try to follow, whether it's speed one year, or it's toughness, physicalness back in the day. Uh, and that, and, and now, I mean, it's, it's the two goalie system, whether, you know, uh, working a goalie 60 to 65 games is, is the answer, or do we all need two goalies that can play 45, 35? Five, uh, you know, and that's what Boston did most of the year. But I mean, uh, these are questions that smarter people than me are are going to be answering uh, in the in the off season. We know size and strength will always be an advantage of the playoffs, especially when you look at e- how how big each advancing team's blue line is. But you also look at uh, a couple examples where. Uh, the Minnesota-Dallas series, for example, the Wild are such a big, tough, physical team, but maybe the penalty standards have changed where instead of that size and physicality being an edge, they went went a little bit past that line and got called for a lot of penalties, got burned on special teams and lost. Um, then, of course, the Rangers-Devils series, Rangers are uh, a bigger, heavier team, and yet New Jersey speed and skill reign, reign supreme. Obviously, again, size will always be sort of an advantage. You, you want it. Um, but do you think the game and officiating has has changed in a way where where it's starting to favor speed and skill a little bit more and if so um where do you think that balance is where of course you always still want that size and heaviness as well well i think we i think we always want the um if you can get the really fast skater and he's bigger than five foot eight then i think that's an advantage like i mean yeah i think you like the the big, the speed. I mean, look at Seattle, uh, their forwards aren't overly big, but they're in your face with so much speed all the time, but their defense are still big. Um, uh, and I think if you look at all the, the cup contenders in the last few years, they've had big defense because the referees wouldn't call the, the battling in front of the net. They still call the hookings and the hit 
anything from behind, but the just the the regular competing in front of the net, they they let go, and that's why one of the reasons I think big defensemen are always wanted, especially in the playoffs. Um, uh, there, there was another part I forgot you asked about about officiating at the beginning. Um, uh, I can't remember what the question was. Sorry, uh, but I mean, it, games. The game has changed, and I think one of the reasons you want the, those big players is because usually, and just re- repeating myself, is is the officiating in the playoffs seems to be more on. They will take the the hookings and everything out, but they want to compete. They love to compete, so they let the battles go. You mentioned any of the eight teams here can win it. I want to ask you specifically about Edmonton. Now, you know, it's a Vancouver show, so nobody here wants to see Toronto or Edmonton win. Um, but that, you know, I, that it, I get. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So what's different? Like, is it a case of Boston now being eliminated, Colorado being eliminated, Tampa being eliminated? Is it the rest of the field coming back to the pack this year that makes it wide open? Or is there something different in Edmonton's game in their roster that makes you think this year it's different. They do have what it takes to win it. Well, what they have, I mean, first of all, they, they've added, I think, um, in the last couple of years, they've added some more depth up front. That's one thing. I think uh, Ekholm has really helped them uh, on the back end. I mean, other than last night, I mean, Skinner's a, a rookie of the year candidate. Their goaltending has helped. Uh, but they've got such a good power play. I mean, uh, which means every other team, they can do what they want. They don't mind getting six power plays in a game because it's usually evens out somewhere. And they'll take five or six penalties for the other team to get five or six because I think they think that uh, their their special teams are going to outperform uh, the other team's special teams. And and that's the, the one of the things I was saying when you're talking about different trends in, in years. Ten years ago, uh, 12 years ago, we won in Washington the 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 highest power play with 26%. The next highest was 20%. This year, I think there was 17 or 18 teams with an over a 20% power play uh, uh, percentage rating. So, I mean, the skill level in the last 10 to 15 years has picked up so much. And the power plays have gotten so much better that it's really uh, it, it dictates the kind of game you have to play because you got to stay out of the box. But Edmonton is so lethal that I mean they can dictate any kind of way they want to play because they want to they want power plays they want penalties against uh, both teams and they they feel very comfortable doing that. Have you ever seen a power play like this? I mean, when you look at it statistically, it's even better than the Gretzky era special teams that Edmonton used to possess. Yeah, I mean it's it's incredible. I, I you know I watch them really closely these days. I've always thought of myself as an offensive uh, power play thinker, but I mean they they don't have any set setups, and I think that's what makes it really difficult. They got five really good players on the ice, but McDavid can be on the left side, the right side, dry side will move from left to right. It's just so hard to cover them. And, and then once one guy gets open, those, those are the guys that don't miss. I mean, it was almost the same way with the Leafs the year before. I mean, they get, you know, Matthews could be on the left, could be on the right, could be in the middle. I mean, they just, they just move around a lot. Like sometimes you get 
power plays that are stagnant where they get into the one three one everybody's got their position i think it's one of the reasons washington's power play hasn't been as good the last couple of years because they've they do the same thing all the time but that edmonton and toronto and and uh some of these power plays i'm going wow they're so good that you just can't afford to take penalties when you look at Florida right now, um, and, and again, they got bounced early in the playoffs last year, but they were the President's Trophy winner. And when you look at Carolina, I, these teams have kind of been on the cusp of doing something great, but then they've fallen short early in the playoffs. And now both teams are through. Are they kind of reverting to what everybody thought they could be a year ago or maybe even two years ago in some cases and just turn into that elite team at the right time? Well, I think, yeah, they're being very good at the right time. And um both of those teams, everybody has thought, hey, could go a long ways. And, and like, I mean, the way things have gone, I mean, the teams that you that were at the top for winning the Cup, the Bostons, the Colorados, you know, I mean, the Rangers, uh, all of these guys are eliminated. So they're sitting there going, why not me? Like, think about it. I mean, if I'm Carolina and going, okay, it's not easy, but we, we can play against Jersey. We were one point ahead of them in the season. We can beat them. Then we might be playing Florida. Man, we handled them all year. And then you could be in the finals. And it's the same thing with, with Edmonton is going, okay, if we can win here, we went undefeated against Vegas this year. They can beat them. And then all of a sudden, you know, it could be Seattle we're playing. We can beat them. I mean, I mean, every team is thinking like this. And so they're sitting at home. Holmes going, why not me? Why not us make it? And uh, uh, I think that's what makes hockey great is, is you got eight teams in there that think they can win the whole shebang, and that's making it exciting. With Seattle, in their first year, they obviously really struggled as an expansion team. How surprised are you that they took this big of a step to not only make the playoffs, but now then to win a round and even steal game one in, uh, in round two? Well, I mean, obviously it's surprising because their um, uh, their personnel isn't that much different. But uh, um, boy, you know what? I noticed that the first preseason game we played against Seattle, I think we lost in overtime, but they didn't have much of a lineup. But they played hard. But then we went right back and into Seattle, and they beat us, I think, four nothing. And we never touched the puck. I mean, they were like. Uh, bees on a on a honey tree or something they they were in your face and they've kept that up uh all year and you know congrats to dave haxtell and the, uh, all those guys because i mean to keep that up and you just look at them and they come four lines deep and the first line could be the fourth line one night and the fourth line could be the first line and i just think it's a great way to play but it gives everybody hope that the following year I mean, that they could win. If you're in Columbus, you can say, you know what? We can play like that. We can be really good next year. And uh, and and I think that's the way the trend's going to be when they're looking for players. All teams are looking for players this year. But um, Seattle's got it going. And, and, I mean, everybody in Vancouver knows how good they played th- this year. So, I mean, it's a, uh, it wouldn't surprise a lot of people if to, to see them beating Dallas and and going on yeah it really is amazing when you look at that roster they have they're not paying an elite high-end guy they're not riding elite goaltending they've just got an incredibly balanced lineup that is completely bought in to how they need to play to have success and 
you know, it, it uh, speaks a lot to Dave Axel and what they're doing there. And certainly if you're a Canuck fan and you're looking at that, you've got to be shaking your head because this team still has cap flexibility, unlike the Canucks. But uh, Bruce, listen, thanks so much for doing this. I really enjoyed catching up with you. And uh, when, when you're not in the Canucks peril anymore, we can get into it and talk to you about some real stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and say hi to all the great Canuck fans out there because there's, there's millions of them. Well, you just did. Thanks again. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye now. All right. That is Bruce Boudreaux, former head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, now television analyst. Don't call him a media guy. He doesn't like that at all. When we return, we will talk a little bit more about the Canucks as some of the content that uh, that Harm and uh, Thomas have in The Athletic. Uh, some interesting pieces there. And then also the Abbotsford Canucks, who staved off elimination last night with a win uh, over the Flames affiliate. That more when we return. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Just a quick reminder, my appearance on the VanCast brought to you by my good friends at Key West Ford in New Westminster. Harm, Abbotsford lost uh, lost a couple of tough games in overtime, uh, but managed to pull it off last night. And some different people lit the lamp. Christian Wallander was involved as well, but it wasn't necessarily the Nils Hoaglander show that we saw in the first round. What's your takeaway from last night? The power play finally got going, right? Yeah. You look at the first couple of games, they were 0 for 11. It just felt like when you look look at how ineffective that was on top of how many penalties they were taking, um, it you know you, you don't score on special teams on the power play. You're not going to go very far in the playoffs. It was also interesting because this Abbotsford team, despite having a lot of talent, has struggled on the power play. Even, on, even during the regular season, they only ranked 22nd. And I just felt that considering how much talent they have, that they should be an effective power play. And, and so they made some adjustments. Uh, Nils Hoaglander getting bumped up to the first unit, which surprised me in terms of how long he had been on the second unit without getting bumped up. But he got the opportunity there. And you look at him setting up Linus Carlson for his first playoff uh, goal. I mean, that was such a slick pass. And, and that type that adjustment was critical for getting that going. Uh, well, Lannan finally took off as well. I mean, he'd been pointless in the first two games. And you got to keep in mind, he's basically the Kale McCarr of the AHL. You're expecting him to kind of dominate and take over. He obviously won AHL Defenseman of the Year. So for him to pick it up with a goal and an assist, eating lots of tough five, five on five minutes with a pretty inexperienced partner as well. I uh, I thought he really uh, stepped up as, as well. Really, it was the top guys that you finally got a lot more um, value out of. Even Spencer Martin, outside of um, maybe, maybe the the third period goal, was very solid, especially with uh, the number of odd man rushes that he, each team had. 
Yeah, you know, and, and when you when you look at it, you know, the, like on form, they could have easily won one of those first two games from everything I went through. I'm not going to lie and sit here and tell you that I, I, I watched any of those games online, but just from everything I read uh, throughout, um, it, it felt like they were unfortunate not to at least get a split in those first two. Uh, how do you like their chances now going forward here with these with these remaining two games here in Abbotsford at home? Well, it's not going to be easy, right? The challenge is Dustin Wolf, right? You talk about them not getting the split in the first two games. It's because Dustin Wolf did Dustin Wolf things. He's yeah, he's he's an NHL quality goaltender, without a doubt. It, he might even be the best goaltender in Calgary's entire organization right now, given the way oh, that Markstrom and Vladar start. were playing. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, seriously, this guy has been ripping up the AHL time and time again. And so you look at the Wranglers, best regular season team in, in the AHL as well. This is going to be, uh, you know, if Abbotsford comes back from 2-0 and wins a series, it's going to be a Boston-like upset in terms of knocking down wow. the best regular season team. So uh, definitely going to be tough, but I mean, Abbotsford is, is a talented roster in its own right. And you just hope that they can continue the momentum with their top guys finally uh, getting going in terms of the skaters. Well, look, we, we all know what Markstrom did this year, right? And there were moments where they changed goalies at key times and then eventually went back to them. And uh, obviously Daryl Sutter's not going to be there anymore. So that's going to change things a little bit, but is there any trade value in Markstrom at this stage? And if you're an organization who's yet to hire its GM or coach before they make that decision, do you go there? Uh, nobody's going to want that contract, right? No, Espe- I know. Like it's got he's 33 and he's got three more years left. No chance anybody wants to touch that contract after uh, the year he's been on. Not to mention he has a new move, move, movement clause. So, but you're letting a, you're letting a potentially elite goaltender just sit, and with Vladder, you've got. You've got somebody who can play some games. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's not like well if if he's not ready yet, you've got a solution. It it just um, like what do you do now? Then do you trade the asset? Like that's tough. Well, if it's Vladar going out, or if you momentarily have to ride three goaltenders, whatever it is, Calgary has to find a way to get Dustin Wolf in the NHL next. Yes, season. they he's, do. He's due for it. He's been that level of dominant. And when you speak about tying this back into the Canucks heading into next season. That's the big X factor for Calgary is what can Dustin Wolf um, do for them? Because their goaltending was, uh, was awful this year. It it was a big reason why they took such a big step back was because the year prior Markstrom had been playing at a Vesna level was, uh, was a finalist. And then his game completely fell off. Ladara wasn't much better. And um, now you're hope, now you're hoping if you're Calgary, that, that Wolf can sort of step up and, help solidify the crease in conjunction with Markstrom, hopefully bouncing back and at least providing decent value in a, in a sort of tandem role where, you know, he doesn't have to play as much. Well, you know, with that, I want to, I want to transition to some of the content you guys have put up in the athletic right now. And starting with Drancer a couple of days ago, I had a piece on five takeaways from the first round of the playoffs from a Canucks standpoint. And one of the things that struck me, and I touched on it with Bruce a little bit was Goaltenders who played more than 60 games during the regular season were one and four in the first round of the playoffs. You know, and that really ties into what Vancouver is going to need to strongly consider next year, right? Both in, in terms of Archer Silovs and, and we know they're not going to go out and acquire a veteran goaltender. And I certainly don't think they should, but Spencer Martin, who's kind of found his game again uh, in the minors, you know, whether they're not, they, they've got to get something done with Colin Delia, right? So, 
it really seems like they have got to make every effort, every effort possible. And really, when you look at the Canucks improved form at the end of the season, and I didn't want to get into this too deeply with Bruce because, you know, he can only talk so much as far as the Canucks are concerned. Um, it really wasn't Demko stealing every game like it was at times in the first half, you know, when Bruce joined the Canucks the previous season for the second half of that season, as much as that Bruce turnaround, that Bruce, there it is turnaround, the Boudreaux bump came by and large because of goaltending. You know, that didn't happen at the back end of this season. And, and we know that who they played had a lot to do with that, but it wasn't Demko as well as he played. He wasn't necessarily standing on his head, stealing games. Yeah, it it's, it is an interesting trend. And I think when you look at, for example, speaking, we were just talking about Markstrom struggles, it started with after him being so dominant in the, in the regular season two years ago, going into the playoffs in the second round, he imploded in that Battle of Alberta series uh, against Connor McDavid and the Oilers. And I, and I think a big part of that was you could tell the fatigue from that big workload was starting to catch up. And so it is, it is something that sort of concerns me a little bit going into next season is okay how much can you ride Demko because if and when you do get into the playoffs, you want to make sure that he's rested and playing at the absolute apex of um, of his ability. But you, the connection in a situation now, when you look at their needs in terms of finding another centerman, ideally adding another defenseman where backup goaltender is is lower on the priority list and, and given their constraints in terms of cap space, they can't really do anything about it. So it, it's not an easy spot to be in, especially because you you might be thinking, all right, in an, in an ideal world, we'd like to taper Demko's workload, maybe not let him exceed, let's say, 55 starts. But then on the other hand, what does, what from, from the coach's standpoint, right? Because a coach is paid to, to sort of generate and, and garner results. A coach might be thinking, well, what good is saving him for the playoffs if we don't get into the playoffs in the first place, right? So it's... Yeah. It's going to be a, a really fascinating storyline to monitor heading into next season because, yeah, that, that workload can catch up to guys in the playoffs. Drench also has a piece on The Athletic uh, that just got put up today about how the Canucks can't afford an aggressive offseason, and this management is mostly the reason why. Uh, what else you got cooking? I uh, have a JT Miller feature coming some point. Don't know exactly when I'll be uh, dropping it, but uh, I, I've been – reporting on it for a decent while now it's it's sort of a, a pro going to be a profile on um his competitiveness and and the double-edged sword and and him trying to uh hone, hone it in and and really sort of working on on that on that mental side of the game and um i had a great conversation with him at the end of end of um last season that or this this past season that uh that sparked all of it so i'm really excited to work on that one and then obviously with the draft lottery coming up soon right now um, over the next few days, um, uh, Drancer and I will just be talking to scouts and, and trying to get um, their anonymous thoughts on some of the guys at the top of the class, um, some of the players that if the Canucks stay where they are around the 10-11 range, who should they hope falls and, and doing all that kind of research so that we're locked and loaded for next week. Wait, wait, wait. So so basically, Drancer, JT Miller got tired of Drancer because I always thought he was the JT Miller truther. And now you, you've kind of gone good cop, bad cop, and now you're doing the work on, on JT Miller. What, what do you mean? <laughs> well, come on. Drench, remember Drench used to get, get all sorts of stuff. A day in the life of, he was the, he was the JT Miller guy. 
True. Yeah. La- I mean, last year was the uh, I really enjoyed doing the the big feature on um, on how he had sort of matured and and when he had the ninety nine point season, the going back to New York and and talking to all his old coaches and teammates and talking to him as well. Uh, that was a lot of fun, and I was like, he's by far the 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 funnest person in the locker room to talk to in terms of a candid guy who's legitimately going to tell you what's on his mind as opposed to just cliches. So, um, and of course, this year too was no shortage of of highs and lows. So, um, I mean, JT Miller is absolutely a go to guy for for both of us. I feel like, yeah, you know, truthfully, he he is that right. You can get things out of him even if you don't like it because sometimes he can be an ass. Generally, he can be candid, and really, that's what you want. You'll take the uh, you'll take the other side of it if he's actually going to tell you. What I he actually, at some point. I actually love I, in terms of the four years covering him. One of my favorite players to cover, just in tr- just in the yeah. sense that I know for you know sometimes he may be prickly to others or, or whatnot, but I don't know. In my experience, when he's been like any time, first of all, eighty nine percent of the time you want to talk to him, he's usually game to talk. But even if let's say. I don't know, for whatever reason, he has, he's in a rush or it's just not the right day to talk to him. He'll honestly, instead of sitting there for a few minutes and, and giving you short answers just to get out of there as quickly as possible, he'll tell you right to start like, hey, can we talk uh, next practice instead? And then you'll go next practice and then he'll be so generous with his time. So I appreciate him sort of being upfront and um, he's always been nothing but great to, to deal with for, for me. So um, yeah. Has he, has he got a real opportunity? to be the captain of this team because he like, let's be honest, right? He is polarizing, right? There's no doubt about it. Whereas Hughes and Pedersen definitely aren't that. Um, he, he leads in a lot of different ways, but then he's also got the other side of him and we all know it. We don't need to relitigate it, but based on what we know JT Miller to be, is he a legitimate consideration to be this club's captain or is the, the volatility piece too much to, to fact, to, to make him a factor in that, and it, it really is going to come down to one of the other two. I don't think so. I think you like him as an A, as it is. I yeah. like you said, the volatility is um, is something you have to be mindful of. And the other thing to keep in mind is JT Miller doesn't have to be a captain to be a really substantial vocal part of your leadership group. That's just the type of presence that he is in in the locker room. He's going to be a huge part of the leadership group, even without. The, the the sea on his chest and when you look at the future of this franchise uh the steps that Pedersen and Hughes have taken I I really believe that it it should be one of those guys uh taking the mantle moving forward yeah I tend to agree um meanwhile if uh, you're looking for other podcast options former NHLer Colby Armstrong joins Craig Custance and Sean Gentili this week on the Athletic Hockey Show also Rob Pizzo Jesse Granger and Mike Russo have you covered for the second round of the Stanley Cup which is underway with the Wednesday roundtable on the Athletic Hockey Show meanwhile you can get a new subscription to the Athletic for just two dollars a month for 12 months when you visit theathletic.com slash VanCast and the VanCast will be back next week likely much earlier in the week than we were this week you know my big regret because we were talking about it off air is people like people get on me because they think I'm too into football and not into hockey enough when you talk to half of these players and Bruce Boudreaux is at the top of the list not a player but a coach every time he sees me you know what he wants to talk about football so he knew I was at the draft so I didn't ask him what he thought of the draft and what the Steelers did because you know he's interested yeah and yeah. I can't ask you. I can't ask you and get more than a yeah because you know you weren't watching a second of it. Oh you know yeah, the, you know the top player was taken in the draft. No idea. Excellent. 
We'll be back next week. I'll try to educate harm between now and then. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great weekend.